What a privilege it is to gather as God's people on a Sunday morning, and uh, weather's nice, not as hot as yesterday. Yeah, I know some people are feeling, feeling that from yesterday. But, um, special welcome to our newlyweds, Mel and Javier. Say, say hello to them. <laughs> got married yesterday. God held off the rain. They got married yesterday, so praise God for that. Um, now, um, I'd love to introduce you a special guest that we've got this morning. Please make him feel welcome. So welcome Ben Tor to the stage. Thanks. How are you going, Ben? Are you switched on? Are you on? Uh, Yeah, yeah. All right, excellent. Thanks for joining us, Ben. It's great to have you here. Um, As uh, you guys have known just from uh, yeah the emails and announcements that we've been doing, and a little video from Ben. So Ben is our candidate to um, as a staff worker here uh, for CPE Church, especially overseeing the Next Generation Ministries, which is the kids, youth. Young families, which um, yeah, as we've seen, has been a huge growth um, area in our church that we are really keen to invest more into, just to really get those strong foundations for our next generation coming through in the gospel. Um, so it's great to have Ben here. With, he's going to share the word with us later on. But firstly, we're just going to do a little bit of um, getting to know Ben a bit better. Uh, now, Ben, tell us briefly a bit about yourself and your family. I can see there's some yeah, family over so there. So I'm married to Corinne <laughs> over there. Um, she's got our youngest there, Jono. And uh, he's just turned two. And uh, our girls are upstairs um, in, in Kids Church, uh, Rachel and Lydia, five and three. Yeah, so we just live just down the road, actually, just in, on the edge of Salisbury um, down there. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And um, what, are you, uh, what are you doing currently what, during the week? What's your week look like? Yeah. Um, Not every aspect, just, you know, yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm um, studying at um, Queensland Theological College in Spring Hill. I'm training at Bible College. I've, I've been there for four years now and just about done. And I'm also a um, student intern at Rosalie Baptist Church in Paddington. Um, yeah, so I've been involved in the services and preaching and, and ministry there. Fantastic, yeah. So um, you're training for full-time ministry, starting full-time ministry, done a bit of MTS training in the past, mm. um, but you didn't straight away get into there. You, there was a point where, um, I guess, a bit of a journey for you in terms of even coming to the faith, and I think we all have a unique story in that. Um, I'd love to, I'm sure we'd love to hear just a little bit about that, yeah, yeah how yeah. God actually worked to... I'll put a few notes down, but I, I won't, I won't um, keep, it, keep it brief. <laughs> but um, yeah, kind of the short version for me is um, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Are there any other um, recovering people pleasers in the room? Maybe if you're, current, current people pleasers, maybe as please well. Please mute by putting your hand <laughs> up. Um, you know, people pleasers, uh, we do whatever we have to do to be liked and uh, to get people's approval. Uh, we say yes because we don't want to disappoint people um, or we change how we act around certain people because we want to be liked and accepted. Um, and I think I used to approach God in the same way um, and, and still do at times, but I can never do enough to please God. Um, I can never get on his good side. And it's not that he's too, God's too hard to please, uh, but it's because I'm already fallen and unable to please him because of my sin. I remember when I was younger, uh, actually kind of, um, early, early high school, I was reading the end of Romans 7, and I could really identify with Paul's struggle there. He said, although I want to do good, um, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And that just so encapsulated how I was feeling at the time. I, I kept trying to do what was right. I did want to do it. I wanted to please my parents, but I also wanted, I believe, what they'd taught me in the Bible, and I wanted to live God's way. Well, kept, what, what age was this? I kept like, failing. I was kind of uh, yeah. late primary, early yeah, high yeah, school. Sure. I was a bit of a reader. Yeah. Um, and I, I was despairing. I wanted to do the right thing. I wanted to please God, but I couldn't. Um, 
But the next verse of that passage, it, it, it's all about grace. It says, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, it's where God's grace came, comes in. He sent his son Jesus to do what I couldn't do so that I can be forgiven and accepted by God. I don't have to earn his approval because I've already got it in Jesus. And so that affects uh, not only my relationship with God, but it affects my relationships with other people, how I see myself in relationships with other people. I don't need to try to please people to earn their approval because I'm already accepted by God, the, the person that really matters, uh, what he thinks about me. I'm loved by him. So I, I do say I'm still a recovering people pleaser. Uh, I've been following Jesus for about 20 years now and I'm learning more and more about God's grace, what he thinks of me because of Jesus and the difference that makes for my life. Um, yeah, these days I am trying to please God, but not to get into his good books, but because he already loves me and is pleased with me because of Jesus. I want to, I want to please him with my whole life uh, because of everything he's already done for me. So. Yeah, that's a, that's a snapshot. Amen. Yeah, praise God for his grace. And I think that story resonates with so many of us here. So thanks for sharing that with us, brother. Um, now, um, you, you are seeking to, you know, come and serve alongside us here at CP Church. Um, you know, we're getting to know you. You're going to bring us the word. Um, I guess one of the questions that uh, some people probably have is like, you know, um, Ben, what is, why does he want to come to CP Church? Out of all the churches he could, you know, go work at or seek, you know, campus ministry or something like that, well, what is it that um, makes you, yeah, want to come along and serve yeah, here at yeah. CP Church, yeah? Yeah, I've been thinking about that, and uh, my first thing that came to mind was, who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> when, when it's I, a good answer. <laughs> when I get to, uh, as I've come to uh, meet Iggy and get to know some of you and hear more about what's going on um, at Cooper's Plains Evangelical and has been going on over the last few years, it's so exciting, uh, healthy, growing vibrant church. Um, I love your vision for mission and for discipleship. Um, I haven't got it memorized like Jane, but uh, making devoted disciples of Jesus for God's glory, um, that just really resonates with what I want my life to be about and what our family wants our life to be, lives to be about. Um, yeah, I love your desire to, to reach um, um, other Australian-born Christians as well as other students, young, young workers, families, other people in the surrounding area. Um, I met you a year and a bit two years ago probably, at um, Ignite Training Conference yeah. at the start. And um, I was just so encouraged by Iggy's leadership and also meeting some of you there as well and just so encouraged by your desire uh, to want to know God through his word and to live in response to what he's teaching you, to just want to go and apply that to change your life, to obey on what he's calling you to do. And so I was so encouraged by that. And, uh, yeah, it just seems like a great opportunity to come and serve here in the Next Gen uh, Ministry of kids, youth and parents. And which is an area I'm passionate about and, and really experience and have some experience in that I hope would be helpful. But, um, yeah, I just think it seems like it's a time in the life of the church where I think the ways God's gifted us as a couple and a family could, could help contribute to what he's doing here in mission, discipleship, growing Christian community, and um, I'm excited about that as an opportunity. So, yeah. oh, thanks, brother. Yeah, I mean, we are... Um, I'm so excited about the stuff God's doing in this church, but, you know, you know what they say, you know, don't look for a perfect church because... You know, don't join a perfect church because then it won't be perfect anymore, right? Like, <laughs> because we're still a church on a yeah. journey, uh, seeking to humbly serve Jesus and everything. But you know, if, we'd love to have you alongside with us potentially. With you know, we'll see what God's plan is. Yeah, you know, and yep. we're trusting Him with that. And I know that's what you and Corinne are mm-hmm. doing as well. So, um, thanks, brother, for sharing with us. We're going to hear from you very soon. Please thank Ben. We're going to hear from you very soon. Um, unfortunately, Tegan is unwell today, so our brother Caleb will be bringing us the Bible reading. Thanks, Caleb. Um, so please get your Bibles out, and Caleb will be bringing the Bible reading to us. Thanks.
Hey everyone, if you haven't met me, my name's Caleb. Uh, I'm really grateful to be in church with you today. Uh, we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. So 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 to 10. How about I pray for us? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word today. Uh, help us to hear your word. Uh, Father, give us help through your spirit that our hearts may be humbled Uh, that we may be changed through it. Uh, Help Ben, give him words to speak as he faithfully proclaims your word to us. Uh, In your name, amen. So once again, 2 Peter 4 to 10. 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10, that's it. Uh, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. And a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." This is the word of our God. Thanks, Caleb. It seemed a bit sacrilegious before that we'd just been worshipping God and praying to Him. And I asked you to think about movies, but there, there is a point, and we'll get, we'll get to that in a minute. Um. Yeah, just to give you some context, uh, we've been um, preaching through the book of uh, 1 Peter at Rosalie Baptist Church, uh, doing this series, Exiles in First Peter. And yeah, let me say um, greetings from Rosalie Baptist Church this morning. Um, it's so good to be here this morning worshipping with you. Do you wish there was more to your life? That you were part of something bigger? that you had a more significant part to play, that your life might make a real difference in things that really matter. I think this is why some of the movies and stories that we've discussed this morning appeal to us. Uh, Movies like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, The Matrix, uh, they're not just these big epic battles of good versus evil. They usually start out with uh, a fairly insignificant person who's got a fairly ordinary life and they get swept up into some, something bigger, um, some greater reality, a cosmic battle, a dire need, and they have some special part to play that might change the course of history. Maybe more into rom-coms, but I don't have much for you if that's it. <laughs> I think we love these stories, these grand epic tales, because they allow us to imagine, to believe for a moment, what if that was me? What if I was caught up in something really significant and had an important part to play? Well, today's passage is going to draw back the curtain of history and give us a glimpse of what's really going on and our special part in it. So, where are we? Are we? A bit of orientation. Uh, we're in the letter of um, 1 Peter, 
and uh, uh, the elderly Simon Peter, that's the apostle and close disciple of Jesus, is writing to Jewish and Gentile Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor. That's modern-day Turkey. Uh, you can see there the, the first two verses of the letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, that's uh, this area up on the right-hand uh, top corner there, that whole area of um, Asia Minor there, there's a scattered um, group of different towns and cities. Um, these first century Christians were a marginalised minority. Uh, they were experiencing increasing hostility and persecution from the culture around them. So Peter writes to encourage these believers in the gospel. You know, at the end of the letter, he writes in uh, 5 verse 12, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. The letter of 1 Peter speaks to the realities of living as a Christian in a sinful and broken world, hostile to the gospel. But it also encourages us to focus on the big picture and our part in it as followers of Jesus. Now, up to this point in 1 Peter, just to cover the, the, the chapter or so beforehand, Christians, and some of the things we've been singing about this morning in the songs uh, that the, band led, the team led us in, Christians have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, They've undergone spiritual transformation through faith in Jesus. Christians have a new identity as elect exiles and a new hope, an eternal salvation and inheritance in heaven that's guarded by God himself, even if there might be suffering and trial in this life. Christians are also children of God, called to be holy, set apart, distinct from the world, just like God. They're to conduct themselves in reverent fear and love one another with a sincere, brotherly love. And they do this by constantly feeding on the pure spiritual milk of the word, the gospel by which they were born again and the gospel by which they grow up in their faith. Now in today's passage, in today's passage, uh, verses 4 to 10 of chapter 2, Peter continues to talk about Jesus and what it looks like to live as God's special people by getting us to think about construction methods. He's using some building metaphors. Now just to give you a quick overview uh, and for the note takers, Peter says what he wants to say up front in verses 4 and 5, a bit like the, the movie trailer coming at you. All the important bits are there. There's plenty of explosions. Uh, but it draws you in to want to see more, to go and watch the whole movie. And the big idea up front is God is building his holy people upon his chosen and precious living stone, Jesus Christ, so that they might offer up spiritual sacrifices to him. In the next few verses, in verses 6 to 8, Peter looks to the Old Testament to fill out the big picture. In the last two verses, Peter basically repeats what he said at the start of the section, but with more emphasis on what it means for Christians to live as his new special people. So that's where we're headed. Let's start with the first two verses. God is building his people upon the living stone. I'll read those verses again. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, who is this living stone? Uh, well, it's, it's Jesus. Uh, Peter's referring to the history, uh, even his experiences in his own life, of seeing uh, the Jewish religious leaders reject Jesus as the promised Messiah. God had sent Jesus to rescue and reign over his special people, Israel, and Jesus was his chosen and precious one. Uh, God declared that, he, that um, Jesus was his son with whom he, was, he loved and with whom he was well pleased at Jesus' baptism and transfiguration. Um, 
Peter was there. He heard God speak these words from heaven about Jesus. But the Jewish leaders rejected Jesus. They didn't acknowledge that his words and his works demonstrated that he was the Messiah. They had him arrested, falsely accused, and then led outside the city to be crucified on a cross. But Peter calls Jesus the living stone because he's not dead. God vindicated his chosen and precious one by raising him from the dead and God is now building his people upon him as they come to him for salvation. How are Christians like living stones? Well, we've been spiritually resurrected, born again, raised from a state of spiritual death to new life. So what's Peter doing here when he calls Christians a spiritual temple and a holy priesthood? Well, a bit of Old Testament background, uh, a spiritual house or a temple um, is the central location where the presence of God dwelled with his people in the promised land. Uh, his people came to worship him there in the temple in Jerusalem and to offer him sacrifices. It was a place where God met with his people and they met with him through the mediation of the Levitical priests. Whereas Jesus and Christians, Peter's telling us, are built into a spiritual household, a living temple, which includes both Jews and Gentiles, they're all now part of this uh, God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone I'm reading from Ephesians 2.20. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, Christians are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. Christians have access to God anywhere, uh, not just in one central location, but all around the world uh, when we gather together and when we meet and when as, as on our own as we call out to God and as we uh, read um, his word. But especially so as we gather together as God's people in local churches, like we are this morning. God is present with us, his people. And Christians are also a holy priesthood. And in the Old Testament, uh, that's that special tribe of Levi who've been set aside to serve as priests in the temple. Only they could make sacrifices go into the holy place. And only one of them, the chief priest, could go into the very presence of God in the most holy place once a year to make atonement on behalf of the people. The priests were set aside for holy service to God on behalf of the people, and they spoke to the people on behalf of God. But Peter's saying for Christians, ministry is not just a special privilege for a select group of people. The whole church shares in the privilege of speaking and living for him in a special way. We all intercede for people and proclaim his words to people. And we all make spiritual sacrifices uh, that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's no question of whether these offerings will be pleasing to God when they're offered through faith in Jesus Christ. So that's the quick flyover. Big idea, God's building his holy people upon his chosen and precious living stone, Jesus Christ, so that they may offer spiritual sacrifices to him. When we trust in Jesus, we've been joined into a big, living, serving community of people where God is present by his spirit. The church is like a spiritual temple and a holy priesthood built upon the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Even though Christians may experience rejection like Jesus in this life, we can be encouraged that God is building his church upon his chosen and precious living stone. And he now dwells with us by his Holy Spirit. Okay, time to settle in for the feature film. As Peter gives us the big picture of what he wants us to understand about what God is doing through this living stone. Just throwing the text up there, it's too small. Hopefully you've got a Bible open in front of you. 
Um, we're up to verses 6 to 8. Jesus Christ is God's chosen and precious cornerstone. In this section, Peter's going to draw upon a few key Old Testament passages which continue in building this theme, uh, up in that building theme, that construction metaphor. But uh, it's a bit of a case of same, same, but different. Uh, because in verse 4, the building metaphor was a foundation of the living temple. Whereas in verses 6 to 7, now it's a cornerstone or head of the corner. And in verse 8, it's a stumbling stone. It's a rock that causes people to, to trip. So Peter's going to switch back and forth between the few. And Peter quotes three different Old Testament passages in this section. He quotes from Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, 22, and Isaiah 8, 14. We're going to work uh, quickly through each Old Testament passage and see what does it add to the picture. How does it give colour uh, to what Peter said in those first few verses? Now, the first passage that uh, Peter draws from, you know, Isaiah 28, um, 16, and I've just got a bit of context there. I am going to read it. It's a few verses, um, then I'll explain why that's important for what Peter wants us to hear. And this, uh, Isaiah 28, verse 14, Therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we have entered into a covenant with death. With the realm of the dead, we have made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us, for we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. I'll make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you'll be beaten down by it. As often as it comes, it will carry you away Morning after morning, by day and by night, it will sweep through. Sounds pretty terrible. Isaiah is prophesying um, in Jerusalem. He's preaching about judgment, God's judgment, on the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and Judah in the 7th and 8th century BC. God's going to bring the brutal nation of Assyria, God's enemies, uh, God's people's enemies, he's going to bring them to punish his people for their idolatry and wickedness. But the rulers in Jerusalem, they seem to have made an alliance with the nation of Egypt, when they should be trusting in the Lord to save them. Instead of repenting and returning to their covenant God, they're relying on man-made schemes for salvation. So God says, He has established a precious cornerstone and sure foundation in Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem, their capital city. The solution to their plight is already in their midst. All they have to do is trust in their faithful and proven covenant-keeping God. You could hear that flood, Im- flood imagery in the, in the passage there. The nation of Assyria is like a great tidal wave that's coming to wipe out the wicked and idolatrous nation. But those who trust in the Lord, the faithful sovereign God, they don't need to panic. They won't be washed away by the coming flood of judgment. God will deliver and restore those who rely on him. And Jesus uses similar imagery in the parable of the wise and foolish builders. I'm sure you know the story. There's two builders and there's two different foundations. One builds his house upon the rock, uh, one builds his house upon the sand. When the rain comes, the streams rise and the winds blow and beat against the houses, only one is left standing. You can guess which. The one that is built upon the shore foundation. And Jesus says, the builder is like those who hear his words and put them into practice. The one who builds his life upon the shore foundation of the tested stone that God has established, will stand secure. In his letter, Peter presents Christ as this chosen and precious cornerstone. 
the very presence of God with us in the flesh, the greatest expression of God's faithful, covenant-keeping love to the world. Those who trust in him for salvation won't be put to shame. Judgment is coming. God won't let the idolatry and wickedness of this world last forever. All those who trust in their own devices, who build upon anything other than the sure foundation of the living stone that God has laid in Zion, will be washed away. But those who hope in Jesus Christ, who has been established as a chosen and precious cornerstone through his death and resurrection, those who trust in him will be honoured on the last day because they will be found to have built upon the living stone. Let's keep moving. Uh, next passage, uh, Peter says but in verse 7, but to those who do not believe... And then he refers to Psalm 118, 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. The psalmist, the one who's, who's writing this poem, this psalm, he's, and uh, those he's singing on behalf of as he represents them, they were surrounded by their enemies, the nations who were trying to destroy them, who were trying to wipe them out. And when the psalmist cried out to the Lord for help, God answered him and saved him. So now he rejoices in God's salvation and he calls all the people of Israel to join him in giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Now the cornerstone in the psalmist's mind here, the head of the corner or the capstone that's given such prominence and made great, well, this cornerstone he's talking about is actually the nation of Israel, God's special people. It had looked like the builders that's the powerful rulers and leaders of the world, had thrown them on the rubbish heap. Israel were nothing, uh, not, to be, uh, not to be scared of, uh, not to worry about. They were despised and thrown out. But God has rescued them and established them as the cornerstone of this great work, this great nation he's building for his glory. Now, in the parable of wicked tenants, Jesus picks up uh, this, this same psalm in uh, Matthew 21, 33 to 46, he picks up this psalm and he applies it to how he'll be treated by the religious leaders. Um, in the parable of the wicked tenants, uh, the tenants uh, have to look after the vineyard for the owner, but they take over the vineyard for themselves. They disrespect the messages that are sent by the owner and they finally kill his son, hoping they'll get to keep the vineyard. And uh, Jesus affirms that the owner will come and he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end. He'll rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. Then Jesus quotes Psalm 118, 22, this same passage. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees, they quickly work out that Jesus is talking about them. Jesus reads himself into the prophecy in the role of true Israel and the Jewish leaders as the nations who oppose God and his people. You can see why they might have been offended. But after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, Peter himself picks up this same passage um, and uses it in his defense against the Sanhedrin in Acts 4.11. So there's a real um, uh, family tree of this, this verse. It just keeps popping up again and again in the New Testament. Peter and John, they've been arrested for proclaiming Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and doing miracles in his name. And they're brought before the same religious leaders who put, condemned Jesus and put him to death. And they're determined to stop this new movement which threatened their power. But Peter stands up with the boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit 
And he says, Rulers and elders of the people, Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter understands that this, uh, he's heard it from Jesus' own lips, and now he understands it's actually through uh, the Jewish leader's rejection of Jesus that God's eternal purpose of salvation has been fulfilled. Those who had crucified Jesus had accomplished what God's power and will had decided beforehand would happen. In their rejection of Christ, the builders, in spite of themselves, served to put God's stone in place. Now, here in 1 Peter 2, the apostle repeats this incredible prophecy which has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The one who was rejected by humans, by the rulers and leaders of the world, has become the cornerstone. God has worked sovereignly through his rejection and death to establish him as the cornerstone of his great work in history to glorify his name. God has raised Jesus from the dead to live forever, and now he's building his new people upon this living stone, all who trust in his name for salvation. Okay, last passage, almost through this section. Um, Isaiah eight fourteen. Peter says, they stump, uh, so he picks up Isaiah 8, 14. Uh, Isaiah, um, pick up in verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow, follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And, and this is the bit that's quoted. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he'll be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. So Isaiah's um, still prophesying about the coming invasion of Assyria as judgment against the northern and southern kingdoms. And here Isaiah accuses his people of not looking to the Lord for help instead putting their hopes in other nations. They were distracted by conspiracies and political intrigue instead of turning back to God in repentance and faith. They were more concerned about the coming Assyrians than the one who had sent them. Therefore, God would be both a refuge and a stumbling stone to his people. He would be a sanctuary for those who hoped in him, but also a cause of falling for those who were offended by him. To some, his presence offered a glad opportunity to repent believe and by the appointed means of grace enter into fellowship and peace but to others his presence spelt doom to them he was a stone of tripping a rock of stumbling a trap and a snare so peter takes this passage and he applies it to jesus as well whereas isaiah prophesied that the lord almighty god himself would become a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall peter applies this to jesus the god man destined to cause the falling and rising of many in israel Jesus is both a refuge from God's judgment for those who hope in him, as well as the cause of stumbling and falling for those who disobey the message of the gospel. The same living stone which provides a sanctuary for his people is also the means by which others stumble, trip, and fall. Those who reject Jesus, God's appointed Saviour and King, seal their own fate. So let's summarise how these Old Testament passages help fill in the big picture of what Jesus, Fort Peter, wants his readers to understand about the living stone. Uh, well, Isaiah 28.16 taught us that Jesus is God's chosen and precious cornerstone. He's the only firm foundation that will save those who rely upon him for salvation from God's coming judgement. Psalm 118.22, uh, Jesus was and continues to be rejected by people, but through his rejection, God has established him as the cornerstone 
of a great nation of people he is building for his glory. Isaiah 8, 14-15, Jesus is both the means of salvation for those who trust in him and the cause of destruction for those who reject him. Now, I'm no expert on ancient Near Eastern building techniques, but I used to work as a structural engineer and I did a lot of site inspections. Uh, you know what tradesmen are like? They come to do a job at your house and uh, leave a bit of a mess. They don't really clean up um, after themselves. Well, a construction site is that times about 100. Uh, no one's really cleaning up after themselves. Stuff's going on everywhere. It's a bit of a mess. Uh, when I first started in the building industry, I was amazed at the incredible structures and buildings, designs that could come, come to fruition, come to reality. Um, so many different trades and people working together. I was like, this is amazing. But the longer I worked in it, I went, this is a miracle that anything happens. <laughs> anything actually comes together because everyone's trying to do their own thing in their own time and it's, it's a bit of a mess. Uh, when a, a building's being put together, there's the, uh, the plans come, the materials are delivered with spe- special instructions. And you can imagine the picture that Peter's trying to sketch out here by referring to these passages. Um, you've got some builders and uh, they've been given the plans, the materials have been, arrived on site, and there's even some, a few materials, like this precious cornerstone that's got some special instructions attached. But these builders, they're not just complacent and uh, misplace that essential part of the building. These builders are dodgy. Uh, they have deliberately thrown the cornerstone on the rubbish heap. Maybe they think they know better. Uh, maybe they think they can do it for cheaper by using cheaper materials and pocket the difference. In the meantime, they're stumbling and tripping over the discarded stone and the rest of the things they haven't cleaned up properly. So there they are working away. They're not using the materials and especially this precious cornerstone that the the owners included in the design. And they're building something that, that doesn't quite look like the plans. Can you imagine what the designer of the building will do when he turns up and finds out they've chucked out the cornerstone? This stone that sets the shape and pattern of the whole building This precious and chosen cornerstone, maybe it's imported, um, like a UQ-dressed sandstone. Um, That cornerstone is really important because it sets the shape and pattern of the whole building, um, which allows the building to resist the loads it will bear, as well as the extremes of nature um, that come with with, um, weather. So these builders, they've rejected the cornerstone, and now it's going to be the very reason they get thrown off the site A shoddy construction built with cheap materials won't stand up to the powerful forces of nature of a cyclone or a one in a hundred years flood. Only the building built according to the designer's specifications will provide the safety and security its occupants need. Only God's chosen and precious cornerstone will provide sanctuary for God's people. So Peter has given us this big picture. God's been at work from the beginning to establish Jesus Christ as his chosen and precious cornerstone. Rejected by sinful men, but vindicated by God in his resurrection. Jesus is the living stone. On the great day of judgment, will he be a sanctuary or a stumbling stone for you? Because when it comes down to it, at the end of history, the only thing that really matters is how you respond to Jesus. If you come to him, if you trust in him alone for salvation, you will not be put to shame. If you believe in the one God has established, if you build your life upon him, You'll be saved from the coming judgment and you'll receive honour when Jesus Christ comes again. But if you reject Jesus, if you do not obey the message of the gospel, you will face the consequences. The one who was appointed for salvation will become for you a cause of stumbling and a rock that makes you fall. Your eternity depends on how you respond to Jesus. 
This morning, if you're not sure, please do whatever you need to do to make sure. Talk to someone here after the service. Uh, Make a time to catch up with one of the pastors. Pray and commit yourself to God. Jesus is God's chosen and precious cornerstone. Nothing else you build your life upon will last. But there's even more to this big picture that Peter wants his readers to grasp, which is already previewed back in verse 4 and 5. Jesus Christ, the living stone, God's chosen and precious cornerstone, is also the foundation of a living temple and holy priesthood, a special people who live for his glory. God's people live to proclaim his praises. And we're in the last two verses now, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christians are God's special people who live to proclaim his praises. Peter starts verse 9, but you. He's contrasting them to those who reject Jesus and disobey the message. Believers regard Jesus as precious. By faith, they have come to recognize the value and excellency of Christ. They also see that he is chosen and precious. Peter's saying, you're built on the living stone so you won't be put to shame, you won't stumble and fall. And Peter goes on to say that the New Testament church, that's Jews and Gentiles together, is the fulfilment of God's promises, uh, God's plans for his special people, Israel. They are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. This language is straight out of Exodus 19, 3-6. It's the last Old Testament passage we'll go to, where God addressed the people he just rescued out of Egypt. It's a really important passage because it, it uh, gave Israel their new identity and purpose as God's people. God calls to Moses from Mount Sinai, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. So here, even more explicitly, Peter addresses these New Testament Christians with the same special terms that had previously only been applied to God's people, Israel. This isn't just a metaphor. The church, Christians, is the fulfillment of God's promises to the covenant people of God. In Exodus 19, it was the key description of who Israel now were and what they were to be about, their new identity and purpose. God had chosen and rescued Israel and he'd set them apart to proclaim his praises. They would have, their whole lives were to be about telling of God's great act of redemption in delivering them from captivity in Egypt. They were meant to be a light to the nations, pointing people to the one true God, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But even this was only a foreshadow of what God would do through the church. God has chosen and is rescuing a new special people through his son, Jesus Christ. So Christians have an even greater redemption to proclaim. They have been delivered out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Peter's first readers to have heard this? They were um, Christians uh, living on the margins of of the political and social life. They were a minority group, copying slander and abuse, Uh, They'd experienced some persecution from local authorities and there was probably more coming. What a comfort it would have been to know that this was how God saw them. 
And what a difference it would have made to know the special part they had to play in God's great plan to glorify his name. Well, we also, uh, as Christians, are caught up in God's great plan for the ages. We're at the centre of the action. We're built upon Christ as our foundation. We're built upon Christ as our foundation, our cornerstone, into a vibrant community of faith. And we're set apart as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. This is what God has been working towards in all of human history. That everyone, that all creation, would join in the song of praise that we Christians are already singing to the one true God and our Saviour and Lord, Jesus Christ. Christians are right at the centre of it. As Christians, uh, we... We are those who believed in the living stone and we get to proclaim God's praises, tell of everything God has done for us in the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others might come to worship him. So part of our calling is to recruit new choir members. When you share the gospel with your non-Christian friends and family, you're saying, come sing a new song with me. It's been God's plan from the beginning that the church, the people of God, would reveal the unsearchable riches of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God to the world as we proclaim the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. God has done so much for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been caught up in God's great plan for human history and we're right at the centre of the action. We, the church, have an important part to play as we proclaim God's praises to the world. We're to tell everyone about what God has done for us in the gospel so that they might join us in praising him too. So what might this look like for you? What might it look like for us here at at Cooper's Plains? How do we cling to Jesus, God's chosen and precious cornerstone, and grow up into a living temple and a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices and proclaiming his praises? Well, firstly, we need to keep gathering together as the church. Uh, The church is the fullest expression of our new identity as a spiritual temple and a holy priesthood. We've got to prioritise time together. It's who we are now. We need each other's help. We can't do this on our own. We need each other's help to keep building our lives on the sure foundation of the living stone. We need to keep hearing the goodness of what God's done for us. And we need to proclaim his praises together and to one another in songs of worship and as we pray and as we fellowship together. And secondly, when we scatter throughout the week as you go from here today to study, uh, to work in an office, to look after the kids at home, Spend time catching up with friends and family. What difference does it make to how you think about your ordinary day-to-day life to know you've been set apart for ministry? You're part of a holy priesthood. You've been set apart to speak and act for God in a special way. Our lives should look different to the people around us because they're orientated around something different. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus Christ. Everything we do is to be for God's glory. This should completely transform how we think about our work, our study, our parenting, our free time. After the service, how about you ask the person next to you, uh, what does it uh, mean for you to know that you're part of God's spiritual temple and holy priesthood? How does that change the way you think about what you will do this week? In the rest of his letter, Peter's going to speak more about what it looks like to live for Jesus in our everyday lives especially in the midst of a culture that's increasingly hostile to Christianity. So please, go away from here and read on through uh, Peter's letter uh, for more specific ideas about what it looks like to live as God's special people. But let's recap. What have we seen today? This morning we've had the curtain drawn back so we can see what's really going on in human history. 
We've seen how people oppose God and reject his chosen and precious one. But the one that they reject has been vindicated by God. He has raised him from the dead and given him glory and established him as the cornerstone of his great work in human history. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer here today, we have trusted in Jesus, God's chosen and precious cornerstone, and we are being built up into his special people to proclaim his praises as we gather together and as we scatter throughout the week. Christians are part of something bigger. We have an important part to play. Through Jesus, we've been caught up into the center of God's grand design to bring all the nations to glorify him. So let's build our lives upon Jesus, the sure foundation, and learn how to proclaim his praises in every part of our lives so that others might join in singing with us. Let's pray together now for God's help to do that and uh, let's thank him for all he's done for us in Jesus Christ, the living stone. Almighty God and, and Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you for what you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that um, you have uh, given us the gift of faith that we might see him as chosen and precious and build our lives upon him. Um, help us to cling to Christ in the busyness, the mess, and the, um, the hardship and suffering of living in a fallen and broken world. Help us to live for you. Um, fill our hearts with a song, a new song of praise to you for all that you've done for us in Jesus and help us to sing together and recruit new choir members to your eternal um, heavenly choir. We pray that our whole lives, um, everything that we go to do this week, um, would glorify you and that we would proclaim the praises of your son, the living stone, um, in what we say and what we do. And now to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.